Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Lunchables podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network. And each episode will be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. Thank you to Weedis for the intro music. This week, we are joined by the director and writer of Heavyweights, the creator and writer of the entire Mighty Ducks franchise. He is currently show running the new Disney Plus Mighty Ducks Game Changers TV series coming March 26th. I am talking about Steve Brill. This man needs no introduction. He has directed so many classic movies, and his collaboration with Adam Sandler has lasted over 30 years, from Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, even most recently Sandy Wexler, Hubie Halloween. He directed the most recent Adam Sandler Netflix special, 100% Fresh, which I cannot recommend enough. It is absolutely hysterical. Steve Brill is somebody who I really wanted on the podcast for a long time. It is. It was definitely a little, I don't get awestruck easily, and we've had some tremendous guests, but Steve Brill was somebody who, he created these worlds that I just loved as a kid and, and continue to love to this day. It is truly remarkable to to have somebody like him on the podcast and and listen to how he was inspired to write the Mighty Ducks and Heavyweights. And, you know, these are original stories, which we talk about that don't get made anymore. It really was a thrill to talk to Steve and, and everything that went on. And I really focused this episode on, you know, I didn't want to waste Steve's time. I asked him a lot of questions regarding rumors that are swirling around the internet. Was Leo supposedly supposed to be in the Mighty Ducks? Was Jake Gyllenhaal? You know, all these different things. So he answers a lot and provides some insight that I don't think is available on the internet right now. So I think my listeners, if you love the Mighty Ducks and Heavyweights, you're going to love this episode with Steve Brell. Next week, we're going to be joined by Aaron Schwartz, the star of Heavyweights, one of the cast members of the Mighty Ducks. This guy is an absolute legend. He started off, you know, as a young kid acting, has acted all the way up until now. And he has had a serious, serious glow up, folks. You would not recognize him. I would highly recommend, you know, Google him, Google Aaron Schwartz, check him out on Instagram. He's an entirely different person now. So let's get right into my interview with the writer and director of Heavyweights, the creator of the Mighty Ducks, Steve Brill. But not before we play the trailer to the new Mighty Ducks Game Changers TV series coming to Disney Plus March 26th. I gotta cut you. If you can't be great at hockey, it's like, don't bother. I want you to think about all the other kids who've been told that they're too small or too slow. They just want to get out there and play. Let's start our own team. All we need is an ice rink. You lost? So if you're looking at red skates, that's up front. Tell me the underdogs are gonna come through in the end. You gotta make this happen for yourself. Why do you care so much? Because you care. Did you see that? Oh my gosh! Nothing but that net! That was crazy! Nothing but net! Pretty sure it's basketball! 
Hey, man, you stuck it out there. You were polite. You asked nicely. You followed up. So here we go. And yeah, we're promoting this show now officially. So I don't know if you saw yeah. that all the, the TCA was yesterday and stuff. So it's time to time to get it out there. What do you want to talk about? Are we on the air now? Yeah, it's uh, always be recording here at the okay. uh, podcast. But uh, yeah, no, I'm super excited to jump into. I want to talk about the Mighty Ducks. I want to talk about heavyweights. I'm going to try not to fanboy too much just because these are two, not just of my favorite movies growing up, but two of my favorite movies, period. And they've held up incredibly well. We just got finished recapping both the Mighty Ducks and the and Heavyweights for the podcast. And I have to say, <laughs> it's uh, it's remarkable how well they've held up yeah. over the years. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, you can fanboy, man. Go ahead. <laughs> Always nice to hear. Yeah. A lot of this podcast is going to be me asking about some uh, internet myths, I guess, about both the both the Mighty Ducks and heavyweights that I kind of want to disprove some uh, internet rumors, I guess. But uh, we'll get right into it. I want to start with, are you from Fort Lauderdale? Is that where you grew up? Uh, <laughs> I can relax. <laughs> uh, am I from Lauderdale? I like to think I'm from Lauderdale. I moved from upstate New York, like way upstate Utica, New York, when I was 10, Okay. And then so so uh, from 10 to 18, I was in Fort Lauderdale, which is those eight years of my life are very formative before I went to college. And so I kind of grew up in Lauderdale, but my youth was in upstate New York. OK, so I guess we did the opposite. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale and, and particularly Weston, a little bit of West Fort Lauderdale and, uh -huh. and then moved to Westchester, New York uh, when I was oh. 10. Uh, so I guess we did the flip there, although, uh, yeah, yeah. upstate. I remember passing you on the uh, I-95. You were going <laughs> yeah. one way, I was going the other way. Yeah, Weston was um, Weston was being wasn't around, but we lived in Davie. Oh yeah, we were one of the first people in Davie. This is boring to viewers, but whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, Flamingo Road and Sheridan Road; those were yeah. all like well, country roads, and we lived on those. And then Weston got built around us right as we left. And now it's the place and you move from there to Westchester. Very nice. Yeah. So I'm just curious, you know, growing up in, in the Lauderdale, as, as you call it, did Hollywood just seem like a, a pipe dream? Like what kind of growing up were you just gravitating to, to movies, to TV shows, to late night? What kind of was the impetus for you to eventually move out to Hollywood? Yeah, that's a good question because I'm older than you guys. And there, there were film schools, um, there was UCLA and USC and maybe NYU. And that was about the only thing, if you started finding out about college, there was this weird uh, esoteric sort of option of film school. But when I was growing up, 10, 11, 16, I, we had no idea that you could be a movie director or even really be um, a part of the industry. We just thought that was something other people did. Um, I was, I loved theater. That was the one thing that obviously there was theater in high school and my parents used to take me to New York city from, uh, upstate New York. We drive down at least once a year and see Broadway shows when I was a kid. And that was really impactful to me. And so, um, and because schools did theater, I, I sort of entertainment, um, and I started thinking of myself as a playwright because uh, and Neil Simon and people like that were people I started reading and humorous and that was my way in and um, and then I, I didn't know movies was a possibility at all uh, funny enough though in Fort Lauderdale in 1980 the movie Caddyshack shot in Weston I don't know if you remember that movie yeah but Weston it was it was I, the country club is not there but that Bushwood country club was off of uh, Sterling Road or Flamingo Road, like right around there. And it was this real beat up club and they took it over and I auditioned for it. 
because a friend of mine who did like modeling and Burdine's catalogs and stuff found out about it. And, and I said, I want to go to that. And I went and auditioned to be a caddy in Caddyshack when I was 16 or whatever. And um, that was me. That was the first time on a set seeing what a, what a movie set was and what an audition was. And that was Held Ramis and Doug Kenny came out and interviewed me and a bunch of other kids. And I didn't get the job because I tried to look real studly and then I looked around and they, they were, they were hiring all the like overweight kids and pimply kids. And I was like, ah. first, first lesson of Hollywood. I, I don't try to outthink the, what they want. Anyway, that, that, that I did that. And then, um, so writing was my main focus playwriting. And then I was very inspired by, um, a movie. I always loved movies. I just, I would go to movies alone all the time in the seventies in the hot spot of great cinema. I loved them. Um, I would go alone to the movie theaters. I remember seeing Jaws in 74 alone and Star Wars and those popular movies, but also the Scorsese's, the Rockies, the Raging Bulls. And that was, that was the sweet spot for my education. But again, not knowing I could be a part of that world. Um, and then um, when I went to college, I went to the University of Florida for a year as a journalism major because I thought writing, that's the way you can make money as a writer. I didn't think a playwright was vi viable, really, although I studied playwriting at the University of Florida. Um, uh, I was a journalism major. And then when I learned what journalism really was about being objective and writing stories, I go, oh, that's not what I want to do. And I don't want to stay in Florida anymore. And I transferred to Boston University. And in Boston, because I wanted to be in a New England town. I wanted to be in Boston. I wanted to be out of Florida, which was fine, but just wasn't my scene. It was too big. And University of Florida. So I went to Boston University. And there I discovered the film department. I, I went in as a journalism major there, too. They had a good journalism school, but it was the same thing. I, I, none of the, they were teaching me was like stuff I wanted to do. So um, there was a film department right there that was kind of significant to the school I was in. And I gravitated towards that. And then it literally dawned on me, I was also writing plays, but um, it dawned on me that, oh, film is something you can do and you can study it and then maybe go to Hollywood if you want to pursue it or you go to New York if you want to be a playwright. So that's how I, I went about deciding what I was going to do in college. And then I, I went to L.A. to, to do. Yeah. Initially, I thought I'd be a playwright in L.A., which was <laughs> dumb, but then I turned it into screenwriter. So it seems like, at least judging from your IMDb, it was maybe the initial path was through acting. And then, because I kind of thought maybe like most people, they try to start making as an actor and then they realize, okay, it's very tough to get in, put into stuff. So they start writing stuff, hoping that's the way in maybe as a starring vehicle for themselves or a way to get a part in a role. But for you, it seems like writing was always part of the plan. It was, it was the only plan. I mean, maybe it was some just intelligent intuition I had that actors didn't have the power except the story of Sylvester Stallone writing Rocky was yeah. a known story that he wrote this great script and then said, I have to be in it. I didn't think I was going to do that, nor did I want to be like an actor of that level or I didn't care, but I, I knew that there were uh, avenues of leverage based on that story. I, 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 my attitude was I really liked acting. I thought I had a good knack for certain parts of it. I writing was what I thought I would do again, playwriting, but then, quickly turning to screenwriting and directing was this component that I didn't come out to be a director, even though I made films in um, college, I was like, uh, I'm happy being the writer producer, I think in the initial thing, if I get input, but the minute uh, I got my first movies going, I realized the writers didn't have the power that I wanted. And if I wasn't going to be an actor to have the power, certainly directing would be the way to, um, 
to watch over and to sort of make sure my my hard work of scripts was somewhat, you know, I, I know other directors interpret stuff, but I was like, yeah, yeah I should direct. And so uh, I went through a sort of path of, <laughs> I wrote the Mighty Ducks on spec. Um, that led to me getting a TV job um, that was popular because they liked that script. That led me to getting CAA as an agent in the 80s. And then they resent out the Mighty Ducks when I was a bigger writer to movie th- to movies and they, and Disney uh, bought it like two years after I wrote it. And my, I'll never forget my agent going, look around this period. Cause I wanted to direct. And he goes, look, the easiest way to direct a movie is to write a hit movie. I remember going, Oh, that's good <laughs> advice. Yeah. Write a hit movie. Then they'll let you direct. <laughs> okay. But ironically, I did write a hit movie and it let me direct. So that plan worked out. But I, my, my point to how you make it or how it goes about it is I just stayed open to everything. The acting led to other interesting things like being with Soderbergh in a movie. And that led to something. But I, was, I knew my skill set and I, I sort of was open to, to doing all different things, acting, writing and directing. Um, and, they, and that sort of led me to where I got. Yeah, that was uh, Sex, Lies and Videotape, right? Yeah. But that was because I wrote a script, uh, another script after I wrote Mighty Ducks on spec that a producer named Bobby Neumeyer um, liked. And we became friends and he gave me an office in Warner Brothers that he had sort of stolen. And he also had Soderbergh's movie Sex on Videotape that he bought and was paying Soderbergh, same as me, like five grand for the year to rewrite the script. And he gave us this office that we sprouted in. Soderbergh and I shared an office rewriting our scripts and he was doing his movie and I was doing my silly comedy. And <laughs> I, ne- I, I never thought his movie would get made. So I said, Hey man, cause I'm an actor. I was, I goofed around high school. Can I be in your movie if you get made? He's like, yeah. Can I be in your movie? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. I don't know if I'll be able to, but, but uh, my movie did not get made and his did. So he put me in it. And then that led to like a really interesting education of other actors, directors thinking I was a real actor, which I was or wasn't, whatever. I could do what I did. I improvised those scenes and people liked them. So Mike Nichols and Tim Burton put me in small roles in their movies. And that was an opportunity for me to really eye-opening opportunity to work with high-class directors and just see how it works and be exposed to it. And that was pretty, that was a pretty awesome opportunity. So I have to ask, what was the inspiration to writing The Mighty Ducks? I understand Florida is such a hotbed for hockey growing yeah. up. I imagine, you know, it probably just left off the page of, you know, what you could do with that with that story and that sport. But what was the inspiration to, to writing something like that? Well, that, don't forget, I was in New, New York until uh, I was 10, yeah. Kiwi Hockey. So I, I was in where they shot Slapshot. And those, that movie was the Iron Hockey League back where I grew up going to those games in the sixties. And, um, I played when I was six years old, I played till six to 10 in a league and I wasn't good. My coach was really mean and I loved the sport, but it was, it was, I wasn't good at it. I was good at baseball, but, um, I love the feeling of skating and I skated every Sunday and Saturday and, and I sucked and my team sucked and that's where it came from. And the coach was really hard on us. And I really just want to be a part of that sport and that group, but it got really hard. Um, and, my connection to the sport happened then in that, in that world. Um, and then when we moved to Florida, there was no, there was no hockey. I, I became a, base, a baseball player, but when I moved back to LA, so only 10 years after that, I was in LA living in a apartment in Culver city with Pete Berg, you know, Pete Berg, the director 
him and in I were buddies. Oh yeah, he's in heavyweights. <laughs> the that's chef. Right. That's right. He's the chef. Uh, There's a lot of funny stuff we had to cut. He was really funny. Yeah, we were struggling actors in Hollywood, or struggling whatevers in Hollywood, and we lived together. Um, and um, we used to go skate. He was the same like me. He skated as a kid in Westchester. He's from Chappaqua. He skated as a kid, and um, there was an ice rink near us in Culver City. And we would just go there because we had nothing to do. And you could pay $4 and skate all day. And we sort of rediscovered our love of skating. And then the Kings were just down the road uh, before Gretzky. And you could go to Kings games, uh, Los Angeles Kings, and go to those games for $5 a student ticket and sit up front. And so we really got back into hockey for for boredom. And um, and that sparked me to think about a script because I was writing specs and I love Bad News Bears. I remember seeing Bad News Bears in that era too, going, this is the greatest movie of all time. Um, the first Bad News Bears and tone wise and just, you know, how it was like an adult, but funny as hell. Yeah. Comedy and and real to the, to the sports scene and uh, of baseball, but hockey hadn't been done. And hockey was a sport I really felt and understood from uh, as a kid, the experience of it. And and going to this hockey rink, we saw these kids coming in to practice, these five, six-year-old mites, and they look so cute. They look like little warriors. And <laughs> I just said, fuck it. I'm going to do Mighty Ducks. Um, I'm going to do the uh, uh, hockey, a hockey show, a lot of Bad News Bears with you know my own take on it. And, and then Minnesota came around because that because I had seen Hoosiers, and I was like, that's really great when you just make it specifically like basketball is Indiana. And I knew Minnesota was hockey. The heartbred, heartbred uh, American hotbed American hockey center, and one of my other friends was from Minnesota, and Pete had gone to college in Minnesota, and so it became Minnesota centric, and and just evolved from there. Wow, I this is a rumor that I either want to dispel or uphold here, and that's is it true that the first draft was like much more of a dark comedy where I guess Bombay was like an ex NHL player who I guess washed up and drunk now wants to get back at his former peewee hockey coach. Is that true or not? <laughs> no, no, that's not true. The okay. story's the same. The story's the same. The tone, like I said, bad news bears, which if you watch is yeah. really about a drunk and there's racial appetites, all this stuff. And oh, even yeah. back then I knew we can't go down that road. Disney was involved in, well, when I wrote it, no, sorry, I wrote it on spec. So I wrote it on spec. I did try to make it. I didn't care as much. It could have been an R-rated movie. I didn't put the F word in it, but I, I didn't care about what would be ultimately the crowd pleasing comedy aspect of it. The sports drama was always there because I really believed in the sport drama of hockey and even Bad News Bears. I thought the, the baseball is really good. Um, and you tell the story that way. But I had serious issues in it that I changed. I had Bombay, um, Casey, who is um, Charlie's mom. Casey was a social worker and she was African-American in the first draft. And Bombay, on top of everything else, is very, it was very blue blood, his family, his law firm. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, you could still tell the story and make a point of it, but it was kind of, it felt a little edgy in 25 years ago of making him fall in love with the social worker who was a black woman from uh, a different part of Minneapolis. And he was this sort of blue blood. So on top of him getting the DUI and going into this world of uh, they were more disenfranchised underprivileged kids, I guess it wasn't that much more. I mean, they did turn out to be sort of like this district five idea of the, the disenfranchised kids. Um, 
that was always the idea. And, uh, but she was, she was representative and they had a love affair that really just sort of um, impacted the story too. And that, that got cut or changed and melded into the Charlie and his Charlie's mom thing when I developed it with Disney. And I don't blame them. I mean, it was definitely like, it was a social, it became a social issue movie in a real way. And we sort of retailored it to, to, to be what it became. But it has, you know, the storyline's the same, Emilio and Casey. Yeah. yeah, he does fall in love with Casey, but we I connected her with the with Charlie and it became more of that. I think that honestly and, and Goldberg <laughs> and it might have. Goldberg, the only other big change was Goldberg was uh an Eskimo. <laughs> he was an Inuit, like a a, a Native American. I think I had it, although they have Eskimos or Inuit that would come from the north there. I think I had him from Alaska. He spoke no English. It was the same idea that he was afraid of the puck, but he was much more stoic and uh, and spoke very little. And that changed completely when he became Goldberg the goalie from Philadelphia. Oh yeah, I love the Jewish uh, humor there that we get from his character yeah. in the movie. It's just, it's amazing. Uh, I mm-hmm. do want to ask you, were there always plans? This is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Were there always plans to kind of make it this franchise, or because I think it made 50 million at the box office? It must have done like 500 million in home video. Everyone owned the VHS. I myself watched it every single night before bed. I do not kid you. From like ages five uh, to ten, every single night. Oh, uh, that's nice. Um, but I have to say, was that always the plan, or just from the success of the first one, it was like let's get a second one going? Oh, the, yeah, it was always if come I. It, the franchise idea was it happened, but it wasn't like plan on it. That was a little different era in filmmaking where each film was made to sort of stand on its own. And there was no uh, expectation or presumption that we would do a second. Funny enough, at the end of the first one, I guess we all felt we did a good movie and we did shoot that last scene of Bombay saying goodbye on the bus was one of the last scenes we shot uh, in the movie, if not the last. And I was standing there and Bombay, the last line was like, I forget what it was in the script, but there were a bunch and he, we improvised stuff and he improvised this line. Hey ducks, I see you next year. We got a title to defend. That was not in the script. I never would have written that. That would have been so (laughs) presumptuous, but Emilio did a bunch of takes where he'd come in and out of the bus and say, ducks, wait a minute. I'll see you next year. Or I I don't even know if he had a line in the script. It might've just been to get on the bus and left. So we did that. And that's sort of like, that's pretty arrogant thinking, well, that tees up a sequel. And Disney didn't make us cut it. So maybe in their mind, they were like, this is good enough to talk about a sequel. And then the hockey team thing happened with the NHL, which was sort of concurrently, Michael Eisner was a hockey fan. And he probably had this plan all along by greenlighting the first movie in his mind. He's like, this will help me get a team because I want a hockey team in Anaheim. And he sort of did it and then told us after the first one, we're doing the second movie and I'm buying a hockey team and we're going to integrate the two ideas and cross market and synthesize the two uh, things. And, and we just went along. It was great. I hope you negotiated a piece of that team in your deal for the, uh, for the first movie there. <laughs> well, I didn't have much power, so I didn't yeah. have any negotiation and it was very, uh, it was very unusual territory. Nothing like that ever happened. Yeah. So I had to, I have to wind up litigating or suing them for many, many years in order to make a claim. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Uh, I do yeah. want to get into some of the uh, the casting what ifs for this movie because there's a ton of rumors swirling around the internet. One is that you at some point were going to play Bombay. Is that true? No, not me. I never thought that. Like I said, I okay. never. 
it would be Pete Berg would be the one because he was just he'd gotten a role or so. This is like 1990, 1990, 89. He had actually done some work or started to get some work. He wasn't a bankable guy, but he uh, I think there was a little of that, a little of me saying compete to it. And then quickly it became clear that that would not be helpful to our <laughs> selling it. So he, he didn't get the job, uh, but no, it was never me. Okay. Cause online we were seeing like Tom Hanks, Bill Murray, Tom Cruise, uh, what else? Charlie Sheen, Emilio's brother was apparently offered the role and turned it down. And that's how Emilio got it. All these rumors online. So I just was hoping maybe we could dispel some of these. Hold on, Steve. Give me a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor here at the Believe Podcast Network, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected. A team of these experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. It also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. My listeners, go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. And now, back to the show. Um, my, my remembrance of it, it was exciting, and I, I was involved with it a lot. Um, it wasn't me. Pete was an after, was was sort of like a, a wouldn't it be nice that got shot down early once Disney got involved they weren't going to make a movie with a unknown um, then it was uh, uh, then it was an open sort of ser- searching situation I think we had a date we wanted to go by so we weren't ready to spend a year looking for a male lead um, I remember since the word was out I remember going to that hockey rink I talked about with Pete skating while this was all happening and there was, there weren't a lot of hockey rings around. And I remember the sports shop there where Hans worked, the guy Hans in the movie yeah. is based on a, a real guy in the sports shop. And I remember walking in there and seeing Gary Oldman um, trying on skates. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's so funny. He had just, he was an actor out here and, uh, and I was like, what's Gary Oldman doing here? And he was talking to his friend. He said, I don't know about this fucking movie or whatever. <laughs> but he was he was trying to learn to skate or see if he liked it to see if he wanted to play it or audition. I don't know what. But he was, I remember being shocked by that. And I was like, Pete, Gary Oldman wants to do it. And he's like, all right. Um, uh, and I, that's a rumor in my mind. He might have just been skating for all I know. But I certainly at that time didn't expect to see him there. Um, other people at the whatever the top list was really tom was was big um but i think he he was uh emilio was just as big as anybody emilio was a number one choice for us so it was never like i don't think we went to charlie first because charlie was charlie was was even bigger and doing platoon oh was he doing he was um and he was that sexier version i don't you know he was I don't know. I think Amelia was the first choice while other people along that level were being explored. But I think Amelia was pretty much like if we could get Amelia, that would be a done deal. Um, he did. He certainly was. It wasn't like Andrew. We wanted Andrew McCarthy or Rob Lowe who had done a hockey movie. We don't want any of them. We, and Emilio, um, I think, was really the first choice when we got him. It was great. Gotcha. 
And then for, for yeah. Charlie Conway, of course, who was played by Joshua Jackson, there's rumors online about Leonardo DiCaprio auditioning and, and Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know how involved you're the casting process for the kids, but do any credence, I guess if Leo was in it, it might be tough to cast him in a potential cameo for the, uh, for the TV show. So maybe it worked out for the best. I don't know. Leo? Leo? <laughs> I, I, I know Leo, and I, he never mentioned me auditioning it for it. Okay. He would have. Okay. Um, he he did i don't think he did he was actually kind of a big star then too it was not he had done what gilbert Boy's grape? life and gilbert grape he was not like marvin's part Rome, of a maybe? i mean we could have we probably explored him but he didn't come in an audition i was in the auditions and i and josh came in and josh had done almost nothing i think he did like a tv movie in canada um and uh and jake did audition for sure jake auditioned he was crushed he wrote about that. I remember reading it somewhere and I met him a few times and he told me he was crushed by that, <laughs> by not getting the role. It worked, worked out for him. Yeah. Uh, and then another guy just told me, Jacob Tierney is a, does this show letter Kenny. He was a kid actor. Um, he's the writer, producer, star of letter Kenny in Canada. And he just told me he auditioned and he almost got the role. And I was like, Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> worked out for you too. But yeah, everyone who probably came around, I'm sure there's a few other guys who, who, who went up that are, and girls. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely, definitely Jake. I don't think Leo auditioned. <laughs> okay. I want to be conscious of your time. So I want to move on to uh, heavyweights here. And just in terms of that movie, how did that collaboration with Judd, of course, Judd Apatow, one of the biggest comedy producers in Hollywood, happen on that initial script? And then was it based on your own personal experience going to summer camp as a kid or no? Yeah, uh, that was, um, I, uh, the New York Times magazine used to advertise camps in the back of the magazine or the hard copy. And it was always this thing I read as a kid and see all these different kinds of camps, especially camps, sports camps, overweight camps, um, magic camp was something that came out. And I was a magician as I was a magician as a kid. Um, and the first as year of magic I. camp. Oh, you are? <laughs> yeah. I was serious. You know, the ones who do it. Most kids go through a phase where they buy a kit. I, I did it seriously for like way too long. Um, <laughs> but I loved it. It was like a big part of my youth in Florida. Actually, they had good magic shops. I don't know if you remember. Um, but uh, so I'd hang out magic shops. I love magic from eight to I actually brought magic tricks to college. 21. Which is not, <laughs> just not a good idea. I brought my favorite tricks to college and I quickly realized to uh, keep them in the trunk, man. I'm not bringing out my magic. Works trick. great at the bars, right? <laughs> it works great at the bars. I did work, by the way, I did work in Fort Lauderdale bars when I was 16. I was like Bob Fosse. I fucking worked at the button on, uh, on the strip, uh, for college spring break as a roving magician at 16 years old, I would walk around. It was a crazy time, but, uh, uh, so I liked magic and my parents sent me to the first year of magic camp which was in New York, which was uh, just what that gave me the idea. And they did a movie called Magic Camp recently, which uh, I, I saw. I didn't see it, but but it was the first year Magic Camp in New York City uh, on Long Island. And I went and I was like 13 or whatever. And um, that to me was very uh, evocative of later thinking about a group of freaks with the same problem going to that they all like magic going into this group where everyone has got the same issues of being magicians. And then I was a little overweight at times in my life and weight was an issue as a kid. Now I wasn't obese or anything, but that idea then um, instead of magic camp, which was my original pitch to Judd, who was a friend of mine, Judd was just starting out and I knew Judd through Sandler 
and they were friends and we all became friends. And Judd was a very, he hadn't done much. He was just starting, but a very smart, aggressive producer and a great writer. And I think he had written some Simpson specs or something that I read. And I was very encouraging to him. And he also, he he was like 25, but he just would be able to go into a room and pitch really well. And people respected him. And, uh, and I said, I want to write a script with you. I had done duck, two Ducks movies yeah. um, by then and a TV show too that I did. And so I was sort of, of the friends of us, I was one trying to get them jobs. Like I try to get Judd a job. I try to get Adam a job. And I was like, um, had opportunities. And so I asked Judd if we want to write a script together after Mighty Ducks 2. And I had some, cl- some clout. Um, and I said, Magic Camp. And... We talked about that and it turned into fat camp. I don't know whose idea it was, or I remember again, the New York times had lots of fat camps and I'm calling it fat camp. I don't care if it's politically correct or not. <laughs> they were called, they were called fat camps and all Jewish kids like us had issues with weight <laughs> and the parent and the parents. And, and so we decided yep. to do fat camp and Judd just off the idea, there was a great sort of, um, period in Hollywood where Joe Roth had started a company called Caravan and he had, and they just had the ability to make movies and greenlight movies. They need to fill a slate for Disney or wherever it was. And uh, he was a very powerful producer and he liked Judge. I'd had a relationship with him. I think he'd done a movie called Celtic Pride somehow yep. with him before that maybe was his first thing. And then Judd brought me in and I was not a great pitcher, but we pitched the idea for a fat camp movie. And certainly because I had done Mighty Ducks, it seemed like a good idea. And me directing, there you go. I had done the hit movie. Judd was always encouraging as my producer. He became my like 25-year-old producer, writer, co-writer. And uh, and he said, you got to direct it. And I was like, okay, this is the time. I wrote a hit movie and an NHL franchise. <laughs> so why can't, why can't I do it? And so we went into Joe Roth and Roger Birnbaum, who had a big company then. And they said, yeah, this sounds great, funny. And they liked Judd and they sent, they sent us to write a script. And I was shooting Mighty Ducks 2, actually. I remember that. I hadn't finished 2. I was shooting 2. And Judd was um, in living in Gary Shandling's house, I think, in, in the Valley. And, and uh, was writing pages after our outline. We did an outline. And he was writing pages and sending them to me on the set of Ducks 2. And I remember skating around with these pages, <laughs> the first opening pages that Judd had sent going, oh, my God, it's so good. Judd really nailed it. Um, and then I came in and re- wrote with him and rewrote and stuff. As, as the, but it got done really quick. And, uh, and he brought Stiller in, which was great. Oh, Judd had done his TV show. Of course, he had all that pedigree. Yeah, he wasn't a nobody. By the time that... Uh, uh, yeah, he had done Celtic Pride and his TV show with Ben. Yeah, Ben Stiller um, in show period, in, in that period there, which was yeah, that that was its own credibility. Yes, he did that. So was it just getting the kids? Of course, Keenan Thompson, Aaron Schwartz, Sean Weiss, just pulling them right off the Mighty Ducks and bringing them into heavyweights. That wasn't the idea. That wasn't part of the pitch. Like we'll take these great guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I it wasn't it seemed like a really natural fun thing that evolved uh, actually because Sean was so funny and Keenan was great. And they were both overweight. Aaron was not in ducks too. I hadn't worked with him. He was in ducks one, Yeah, Aaron Schwartz. And, and so Keenan he wasn't, wasn't in, in the first one. And Keenan was the first one, but I was currently working with him. And that movie hadn't come out when we cast ducks 
uh, heavyweights. So Keenan had to audition, I think, with us just going, this kid's great. Sean had established himself from the first one. And Aaron was in the first one. And uh, yeah, casting the lead kid was was hard. Aaron wasn't quite fat enough. So we had to encourage him to be a little fatter. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, we just cast it. And the one, the one casting thing out of that, which is funny, uh, is the counselors... Um, we, uh, Lars, I really, there was a young actor named Thomas Hayden church. Tom church came in to read for Lars and he crushed it so hard. And I don't know why I didn't get it, but then Tom Hodges was our friend. Uh, he, so a lot good. of times we got so to bring in our fun. Yeah. That worked out even better having Tom Hodges do it. <laughs> um, the, 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 the Pat and Paul Feig, of course. Yeah. He yep. was our friend. He, yep. he was not, uh, he was an actor and a musician more than anything else back then. And he was super skinny and funny. So he was great. And then the other main counselor, Pat played by um, Aaron. Uh, uh, um, he, that role was hard to cast. Um, uh, Tom, sorry, not Aaron is uh, played by Tom. Uh, he, that role, we had the funniest, um, not for not for Favreau, but Favreau wanted the role of the lead counselor so bad. Really, John did. Yeah, it's all. It was like obsessive with him. Unfortunately, <laughs> he had just done. He was a larger kid in some movie known as the fat kid from Rudy, maybe or where was he? The large guy, Rudy, right? John Favreau. Uh, anyway, he was super big, but when he came in audition, he was slimmed down, and he he and we're like well you're 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 not this guy has to really be a large guy and he was like i'm doing it man i'm gonna put on the weight but he did a method thing like but he before he insisted on doing all the read-throughs and the auditions and the screen tests as a skinny guy and he worried all through pure acting you know it was hilarious and him and him and uh vince uh we were talking about vince but uh but he wanted the role really bad and he didn't get it. And then the other, sorry, the only other interesting part to that was back. So it took maybe a year from the idea of fat camp to us shooting it that year being 93. So Judd and I, it was this weird crossover where all the shit was happening and that's not what's happening. We really wrote it for Sandler and Farley, those two, those two counselors oh as the God. two counselors. Yeah. It was for Farley and Adam, but right about the time it got more serious they were both on SNL and oddly it wasn't like the producers said that was great cachet. They weren't proven. They hadn't done their movies. Um, we knew how awesome they would be. Everyone yeah. in retrospect knows how awesome they would have been, but we wrote it thinking about them. And then when we knew it wasn't going to be them, maybe we wrote down the roles a little and it became more about the kids and it wasn't as much. So yeah, Sandler was going to be the, Tim role and Farley was going to be the other counselor. And so it was more, more for them in the original drafts. And then we sort of wrote it down and took it, took it down those roles a little. Like it's tough to imagine them in the roles because it's perfectly done as is, you know, it's incredible. Yeah. Even just nailing Ben Stiller as Tony Perkis was, was, was genius yeah. casting on, on their part. And of course it led to yeah. that kind of role that he had in uh, <laughs> happy Gilmore as the, as the caretaker and uh, also for yeah. dodgeball, right. As a uh, white yeah. Goodman. Yeah. Very similar yes. roles. Yes. Well, it originated, <laughs> originated with, uh, with us. He took his own character to dodgeball, <laughs> but that's all right. I mean, he took, uh, he took uh, whatever, but, uh, um, 
that well, but of course he developed characters on his show, the yeah. Stiller show. There was a version of that I encouraged him to do the 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 dad that he does um, <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the limo. That was the lighting fixture king. Did. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we wrote that, but then when he appears as the dad. That was like a character he did on Ben Stiller's show. The what are you? What are you? Let's go. I got to think. I got to go. <laughs> that was a character Ben had, um, and a version of Tony Perkis, which was Tony Robbins. Um, I don't think he did a character like that, but we all got into that idea a lot. And then that character was just a real blast to really to work on. And Ben certainly developed it with Judd Knight as much as anybody. It was great. So. I- want to ask one quick question. So we have Aaron Schwartz coming on the podcast next week. I just want to give oh, good. just a brief thing, what you remember about working with him, both on this heavyweights and the mighty ducks. I, I loved Aaron, uh, mighty ducks. I just thought he was, he, had, <laughs> he was like kind of a, a, had a tough sweetness that I really liked and remembered. And that character carp was sort of dumb <laughs> too, which I liked. And uh, he did really well. Um, why he wasn't in two is something I can't remember other than, he might've been the victim of, I needed to bring in all these new people and carp. I thought I'd get back to him, but I don't know. It was, it's, he was the one guy that should have been all of them. Um, but it worked out because when heavyweights came around, I, I immediately thought of him. Um, and then he auditioned and it was great to reconnect them with the group and those other guys. I mean, he only been, only been a few months since he'd done ducks one. So it was great to do, to do uh, heavyweights with him And, now he's buff, man. I mean, oh, he's he, had a serious glow up. Yeah. Yeah. He's been this way for a while. He's a handsome, great kid. And I really, I love him and I want to, I want to work with him more and more again and again. So I have another, uh, another internet rumor for you. And this is apparently Sean Weiss was originally not interested in acting in heavyweights, but the rumor is that you told him he couldn't be in D3 unless he was in heavyweights. Is that true? I can't imagine it being true because I don't know why. I don't know why he would ever say he wouldn't want to be in Ducks Two. That would be the catch of that story. I mean, there could have been a moment of weirdness, but I don't think that's a true story. Okay. Of course, I mean, maybe, maybe he's maybe there was a thing where he wanted more money in Ducks Two because he saw himself as the star. I don't know if that's true. Maybe there was something like, oh, he's playing hard to get, and then I said. I tend to be very straightforward with these kids. I feel like I raised a lot of them or, or was like a big brother or father figure to them. I said, Hey, shut up. You're, you're in ducks too. Don't, don't, don't be an idiot or something like that might've happened, but never would he have said, I don't want to do it. Okay. And if Hattie said, I don't want to do it, I definitely would have said, well, then yeah, you're not in heavyweights or anything else. <laughs> that, that would have been true. Yeah. And it seems like he's back on the road to recovery, at least from his recent social media posts. So I'm, I'm very glad to hear that it looks like he's getting back to, uh, you know, where he used to be. Uh, but I yeah, wanna, me too. Yeah. I do want to talk about just, of course, you're doing a ton of press right now for the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, the new Disney Plus series coming March 26th. I think I speak for all my listeners where I say I'm so excited for that. I'm curious, how difficult was it to convince Emilio to kind of come out of pseudo retirement and, and kind of get back into it? Um, it was difficult. It was a long process because I had to ultimately put something together that he would like. Um, so I had to, I had to work on it for years. And in my mind, it's just the same thing. It's like, I don't want to get back into it just to exploit it or do something cheesy or something that feels like a not right. So I wanted to do, um, a movie, essentially a fourth movie. And then the idea of Disney streaming and doing a 10 part half hour thing, which is like a three hour movie that became 
a way to pitch it is like, yeah, we can do it. We can't shoot it like a movie and make it feel that way, a long form story and subscription and premiums are really the way to go. So that became interesting. And then when I developed the character for him, uh, it was just a question of being loyal and, and honoring the, the character itself. And then having figured out the holes between Ducks 3 and now 25 years later, and then giving him an arc for this season itself um, was the challenge. And Josh Goldsmith and Kathy Espa came on and worked that out with me and uh, we were able to present it to him and uh, he took the leap. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I, I really cannot wait to, uh, to watch it. And I think another movie turned TV show that did that brilliantly well was, was Cobra Kai, right? I think yeah. turning Billy Zapka into an empathetic figure was a genius move. And I think just, just from the plot of Mighty Ducks Game Changers, I think you've similarly navigated the way into the, way into the show of having the ducks now be this powerhouse, the thing that they were originally started to kind of defeat the Hawks yeah. in a sense. So I think you nailed the execution of at least the, uh, the plot. I can't wait to actually get in and watch the series. Yeah. I mean, I had the Cobra Kai, apparently I don't watch it only because I've been really careful not to, you know, take anything from yeah. it. Um, but when I first heard of it, I loved the, it's the same thing. They had a movie that was really beloved, a series, and then they wanted a, is similar to us. And then they, I, I, when I started developing the idea years ago before, or so similarly when Cobra Kai was developing, I was like, this is the ducks have to have like gone to the dark side, so yeah. to speak. It's just, or else how can you be ragtag for 25 years? <laughs> so, so in Cobra Kai, you know, it's just called parallel thinking and stuff. And then, then when I heard they were going first and they were doing that, I was like, good, that'll be a good test to see if people like that. And apparently they do. And I watched the pilot and I really liked it. So it gave me good confidence that the road we were going on was, was also a solid road. So I kind of want to ask you just a kind of existential question about the business right now in the state of development. It seems like everything is, is getting, you know, greenlit based on some prior IP intellectual property and screenwriters are now competing with authors and writers of magazines and articles and, I'm just curious, as someone like yourself who kind of got started writing original stories, where do you find the state of of that? Do you think that's in some sort of decline? Do you think you need to get back to that? Or is just this is the nature of the business today and everything's kind of based on tentpoles? Yeah. Uh, but who's your audience? Who are we talking to? Basically? So it's a lot of people, a lot of people who want to get in the business and a lot of people who just love 90s, 2000s nostalgia. <laughs> right. Right on. Well, um, yeah, and I represent uh, a good part of that. Yeah. So the um, it's it's your yeah you summarize it right. The the models change. It's been it hasn't been sudden. It's been happening. Yeah, happened started happening um, with constriction with studios. The 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 buyers um, uh, disappearing because there used to be you know um, twenty places you could go around and sell your original idea with the chance that they had to make it and and fulfill a slate. And then everything consolidated and shifted around. Um, that was before the streaming really changed the game too. And um, so that did make, and then Marvel and Star Wars and those universes being always superheroes and horror being its own subgenre. of, oh, well, those are, those are programmers. Those are sort of, I mean, I guess they're original, but they're all IP things essentially. That sort of took away from the pie. And then the original comedy, well, romantic comedies got hit pretty hard yeah. too in the last 10 years just because it became the idea that they weren't 
I don't know. I don't know if it's true. You know, why all of a sudden are Meg Ryan movies, not big box office movies. Uh, I think they just didn't make a bunch of good ones. And then people turned against them. I think, I don't know why that genre died, but with that dying, that took a lot of um, ability to write an original romantic comedy comedies, like the stuff I was doing or am doing with Adam still seem viable, the big sort of tent poly comedies, but then the market changed and Netflix took Adam and, didn't seem like the studios with Seth and Seth and Evan and Rogan and Jonah were the, the last group that were able yeah. to sort of do 21 Jump Street, which were IP. Yeah, yeah, that's funny enough. That was IP. Uh, <laughs> and well, they did original stuff too, like This Is the End and stuff like that. But um, that seemed to be the last, you know, using an actor um, to develop within. So the idea of writing a spec comedy, which was my world or a spec story, you could go around and go, I got this idea about a hockey team, or I got this idea about um, this or that. Um, that. That's definitely diminished. And hooking onto a piece of IP or something that the buyers can go, oh yeah, this has something built in. It's a function of laziness on their part and also just trying to get a head start and also developing an idea from scratch, like on a pitch is, it's a, it's a big leap of faith and it's a big money investment and people lost the appetite for it. Sure, yeah. Uh, Steve, I really can't thank you enough for your time. I just wanted to end on five rapid fire questions if you're ready. Let's go. So I know you're super busy with the Mighty Ducks. I'm curious what you're currently binge watching. Oh, uh, the one uh, I just finished. Um, uh, um, I, I did the Fauda, yeah. the Tehran, Fauda, Gamora. Narcos, that oh, wow. dark, dark, really well-executed comments. <laughs> They're so good. International. I mean, those are really great shows, all of those. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're just... They're the level good. of so detail think, is insane. Like, everything it's is... insane. Insane. Yeah. That Tehran, it's just great storytelling. It's juicy. It's got, you know, this sort of pseudo-political overtones. But yeah. I just went through that. And Kimura, of course, the last season of that, I think that's good. I Fargo... Um, I like all those high end, they're very high end shows with, you know, um, so I, I went through that and then the binge watching, uh, I ripped through all the other stuff. People binge watch. I watched the chess, the chess thing, Kings <laughs> yeah. Gambit, I thought it was great. And, um, and letter Kenny is the one that I always push forward, you know, letter Kenny. No. Ah, see your, your viewers letter Kenny, oh, a, a Canadian show, um, which you can get on Hulu nine seasons. Okay comedy hilarious it's Watch rare it. a guest stumps me with a show so i'm gonna have to check this out wow letter yeah. kenny man okay nine seasons <laughs> let's go i'm beating the drum for that i hired the one of the kids that one of the coach one of the guys in that show i hired for mighty ducks um so he's in our show and they're going back to shoot another season but it's very original wildly funny and that's the one I would say everyone should binge watch. Gotcha. Uh, next one. I know you've had such a collaboration with Adam Sandler over the years. What is your favorite Adam Sandler comedy? And you can't pick one that you've uh, that you've directed. Oh, okay. So no little Nicky here. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about that. The special. I really like the, the special. It's amazing. I have to say, hundred percent yeah. fresh. I watched. I went yeah. to see it twice at the Hayworth Theater downtown LA. It was. Uh, oh yeah. A remarkable, remarkable job. Yeah, thank you. That one turned out well. Um, the one I didn't direct that I thought is, is that I wanted to direct is probably the best way 
to think about it. Not not like the Softy Brothers ones. I mean, you're talking about like the. the it could ones be anything. That, uh, it could be uncut gems. Punch drunk love. I mean. I think is that, that just because most... Paul Thomas Anderson said he liked heavyweights? Is that why you're saying that? Yeah, <laughs> that, that 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 didn't hurt. Paul Thomas Anderson, PTA came on the set of my of uh, little little Nicky. He showed up as a 26 year old kid as a Sandler fan on Little Nicky, but he was like Sandler goes. Paul Thomas Anderson really loves heavyweights. I'm like, get out of here. The guy who just did Boogie Nights. He goes, yeah. And Paul comes up, he's like, heavyweights is the best. I was like, all right, you're the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I hired him on the uh, special, the, the DP yeah. for me. That was, a, yeah. that was, uh, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, but my favorite though, I, I don't know. I think 51st Dates is pretty successful. Good movie. You know, I, I like that one. I like Big Daddy a lot. I worked yeah. on Big Daddy, but not as a director. I wrote on that. And uh, I, I think that's super successful. Wang Singer also. Uh, they're all good. Everyone, know, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, next one here. I'm just curious. Of course, you recently directed Hubie Halloween on Netflix. How did you get Ben yeah. Stiller to do that cameo? Of course, I think reprising his role in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> that was my idea. Um, under the category of it never hurts to ask. Um, I don't, cause I don't think Adam would have asked Adam's like smart about everything. And I, I, I think in his mind, he would have been like, I don't want to. And I go, I'm telling you it's right because it's, he works in the asylum for the joke. It's not like trying to repurpose the character as a, as a gratuitous cameo. It's yeah. like, this is, this makes sense. So I sold him on that idea. And that was a question of talking to Ben who had, who had, who we had been social and Adam's pretty good friends with Ben. And we all, we all hung out a year or so ago for Adam's birthday, a couple of years ago. And we were all friends and, uh, and I love Ben. I had worked with him some heavyweights. And uh, so we just asked and he was, it caught him at a good time. He hadn't acted in a while and uh, it would be a fun way to come hang out in Boston for a day or so. We shot more. There's more. Then what's in there? There's really? a couple other scenes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we do the extra scenes on Netflix anymore, but I hope there's a version where I can show more of how. Yeah, because it wasn't just what you saw. There was more. Oh, man. Yeah, that line from Happy Gilmore, yeah. my fingers hurt. Well, now your back's going to hurt because you just pulled yard duty. That one of my favorites from Happy Gilmore. So I'm so glad you got that in there. <laughs> uh, last question, Steve. You've been so uh, generous with your time. Uh, if Disney Plus, of course, now they approach you about maybe doing a heavyweights sequel or, or tv series where now you know aaron schwartz he's had such a glow up maybe he's a counselor now at camp mvp maybe he's running that camp what do you think would you sign on yes i'm in i've been thinking about that i just thought about that recently and other people have said why don't you do it um i it's just a question of does disney have this really indecent love for that movie that everyone <laughs> else does you know, I don't want to have to explain it with them staring at me, but if there's someone over there like you or an executive who gets it, then I'd love to do it. I don't want to reinvent that again. I'd want to do kind of the same, the same feel of it like we did. So if that is the time pass, is it politically correct to do a fat camp movie? It either is or isn't. I can't tell, yeah. I, you know, maybe, maybe it's, <laughs> it's not right or we can't do the same kind of jokes, but I definitely have been thinking about it and Aaron okay. would be, would be the head of MVP for sure. Cool. That'd be great. That'd be great. Good idea. <laughs> Steve, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Relunchables podcast. I really appreciate it. You got it, buddy. Good luck.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.